Well, good afternoon. It's, uh, I hope you'll pardon me if I seem a little distracted today. <laughs> there is something going on this evening, but what? let me finish. What I want to add is, about a half hour ago, we got word that our 11th grandchild was born. Uh, all right. Okay. I know I earned the first part of that, but... <laughs> Reminder that uh, there will be a text number on the wall here that you can text questions to, and as time allows at the end, we'll try to get to a few of those We've been in a series of messages in the book of Ecclesiastes entitled, Wind Chasers and Worshippers, A Quest for Significance. And the, the, the key statement of this series that's rooted in this book is this, even if, even if in the quest for significance we could try everything under heaven that there is to try, even if in the quest for significance, we could try everything under heaven that there is to try, and that, by the way, includes Super Bowl championships and grandchildren. Even if, in the quest for significance, we could try everything under heaven that there is to try, we would never find our meaning here. For our Maker is our meaning. Our Maker is our meaning. We've been looking at various pursuits, various expressions of wind that humans chase after. And, and we come today to the pursuit of wealth. I'm calling the message Shark Tank Madness. Shark Tank Madness. If you've seen the show Shark Tank, you'll know that it is a show in which aspiring uh, entrepreneurs present their new business to multi-million dollar, I think billion, billionaire investors in the hopes that the investors will give them money in order that they might make more money in their new businesses. Just about everybody on the show uh, is hungry for money, all with varying degrees of crassness in their, in their greed. One of them, either because he's really like this or because it's part of his character in the show, is especially brazen and crass as he expresses his love for money. Kevin O'Leary, a billionaire, says, I love money. Here's how I think of my money. As soldiers, I send them out to war every day. I want them to take prisoners and come home so there's more of them. I'm not trying to make friends. I'm trying to make money. I want to go to bed richer than I woke up. The pursuit of wealth is a wonderful thing. It would seem that Kevin O'Leary, unless he's simply playing a character on the show, it would seem that he is living... By the message of the old bumper sticker, life is a game, 
And he who dies with the most toys wins. Interesting, isn't it? Children live by this creed. Our new granddaughter, Carolyn, just a few hour, uh, minutes old, already has the creed in her heart. Nobody will have to teach Carolyn to be greedy. Nobody will have to teach her to want more toys. Nobody will have to teach her to gather stuff to herself. It is in the human heart. It's in our perspective on life under the sun when our youngest son was five years old. I may have told you this story before. When our youngest son was five years old, remember the dandelion story? We had this this beautiful crop of dandelions in our front yard. It was magnificent. The whole yard was yellow. And, and, and yet we were sitting at our dinner table looking out the, the, the window at this and, and our son David, five years old, uh, we were always thinking of things to keep him busy. And I said, hey, hey, David, I'll tell you what, we'll give you a penny for every dandelion you pick. And his eyes just bugged out, just Joy overflowed his, his face. And so after dinner, he runs out and his older brother follows him out. And, and his older brother overhears him as David is frantically picking dandelions. His older brother hears him saying, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be rich. I'm going to buy toys. I'm going to be rich. 700 dandelions later, he came in fistfuls. He was $7 richer. But I'll tell you what, in the moment... Uh, a heart was seen. The human heart was seen. This is something that is, we live by the creed as, as Americans. We live by the creed. We call it the American way. But in reality, it's nothing but materialism, a craving and a lusting for stuff, for money and what money buys, that dominates our culture. All that matters is matter. All that matters is the gold and the silver and the glitzy and the slick and the shiny kind of matter. We love money. And we love what money buys. I was in a plane on Friday and picked up one of those travel magazines. You ever seen those magazines on a plane? They're usually the most boring, tedious, worthless pieces of literature you ever find. They're just full of advertisements. And this one was too, but in the middle of it, there was an article that caught my eye in light of sermon prep for this week. The title for it was this, Materialistic People Are the Least Satisfied. The thesis, quote, psychologists have long established that materialistic people are more anxious, more depressed, and more likely to use drugs. Solomon would have made a great American. He was incredibly rich and profoundly unhappy. Incredibly rich and profoundly unhappy. He had everything there was to have. He, he had an income that was in the billions each year. He, he was a man who who had so much gold, so much wealth, that silver was considered nothing more than pebbles that you would find outside. He was filthy rich, yet at the end of the day, he says, it is vexation. It is, 
It is sickness. It is anger. It is worthless. It is a toiling after the wind. He, he says, in effect, it's shark tank madness. It's insanity. You say, all right. Why, Solomon? Clue us in. We don't want you just to pontificate that, you know, that, that wealth will leave you feeling meaningless and empty. Why? Well, I like about Ecclesiastes, just doesn't declare things, it explains things. And so in this book, Solomon gives us six reasons why riches and wealth will not satisfy you. Put it differently, these are six facts that Shark Tank and Wall Street and Powerball don't want you to know. These are six facts that Shark Tank, Wall Street, and Powerball don't want you to know. Fact number one. Riches require toil. Toil. In verse 16 of chapter 5, he talks about toiling for the wind. This pursuit of wealth is a toiling for the wind. And back in chapter 4, he puts it very strong as well. In verses 6 through 8 of chapter 4, Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asked, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This is vanity and unhappy business. The word toil that he used here speaks of hard labor. It is distressing labor. The fact of the matter is to either get or keep or increase wealth is toil. It is a labor. There's no such thing as easy money. There's no such thing as easy money. Now, this isn't saying that it's wrong to work hard to earn a living, to provide for your needs. No, in fact, working hard is a biblical Christian virtue. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about toiling and laboring with a mind that is consumed with more. i got to have more. i got to have more. Kevin O'Leary says, working 24 hours a day isn't enough anymore. You have to be willing to sacrifice everything to be successful, including your personal life, your family life, maybe more. If people think it's any less, they're wrong and they will fail. You may lose your wife. You may lose your dog. Your mother may hate you. None of those things matter. What matters is that you achieve success and become free. Then you can do whatever you want. It doesn't work that way, friends. What matters when you lose your wife, your dog, your mother, and everything else is that you lose everything. And you got nothing at the end of the day. That's why, as has been quipped so very often, no one has ever said on their deathbed, I wish I spent more time at the office. Nobody's ever said that. Because the toil and the labor has a way of draining life of everything that is meaningful. First fact is that riches require toil. Second fact, riches never satisfy. Riches never satisfy. Verse 10 of chapter 5, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also 
vanity. You will never be satisfied. If you make wealth the source of your meaning, then you will never be satisfied. Folks, there is something inherent in money. Like the Lay's potato chip. That you just can't stop here. You need more. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't quench. There was a wealthy landowner who once said, I don't want all the land in the world. I only want the land that touches mine. Play that out in your brain. Where does that take you? You would, th- you would think, wouldn't you, that wealth would satisfy? Wouldn't you think that there would come some point where you say, okay, good, we're there, content. Got what I need. But it, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. There's, there's something in money and in what money buys that just doesn't satisfy. Here's, a, here's, a, here's an exercise for us, okay? I want you to think about having everything you could possibly want. All right, just let your imagination run a little bit here. Okay, so you, you start in the garage, you've got multi-car garage, you've got you know, the car and cars of your dream in that garage. They are brand new, they are shiny, they are power cars, they, you know, they, they are it. You've got them, they're all in the garage, they're there, they're yours. You move into the house, you go into a kitchen, and the kitchen is state-of-the-art everything, all the latest, all the best, all the shiniest of equipment and appliances. It's, it's there. You go into the pantry, and it's, it's like walking into a supermarket. There's just food everywhere. And then you move from there into the living room, and then into the man cave, or into the, the she shed, and you, and you, you find... You, there is everything technology-wise. There's a screen that's massive and, and there's surround sound coming at you from every angle and state-of-the-art, it's crystal clear. It's like you're watching the Super Bowl being on the ground with the players. I mean, it is everything. And in addition to that, you then go into uh, your bedroom and it's this massive room. And then you walk into your closet, which is like another house. You've got all the clothes you could ever want. They're brand new. They're all the latest styles. It's all there. Uh, Your bank account is full. You've got it all. It's, you have it all. And you have the assurance that none of it is ever going to get old or wear out, or rust out, or break. Okay, you there? You got it? How long until you want one more thing? How long? When the next new thing is made. There is something that just doesn't satisfy. Now, you and I are not Solomon. We don't get that kind of wealth, but we know this to be true. As our brother said earlier, you know, we, we just have this insatiable craving. So we get the new job, but we want the next best job. We get the new position. We get the raise. We get the, it's always more. It's always more. It's always more. Why is this? Uh, That's the question. 
Just think about it. A couple of weeks ago, we said that pleasure, physical sensations won't satisfy you. Now we're saying that matter, material possessions won't satisfy. Oh, it begs a question, folks. Begs a question. Why not? Look, evolutionists and secularists try to tell us all the time that all we are are physical, material accidents. Purely by chance, with no God in the picture, with no creator in view, you and I just popped into existence. And all we are are just physical, material, chemical things. And you think you're making choices and you're a human being? No, it's not really choices, just how the chemical actions and reactions are triggering things. Here's the question. If all we are is physical and material, why don't physical and material things satisfy us? If that's all that is, why do we crave something more? Oh, my friends, if you're one who's cynical and skeptical about spiritual things, I challenge you to find a real answer for that. I challenge you to figure that one out. Why do we want more? Why is it that a uh, Barbie doll is content being a Barbie doll? Why is it that a robot is content being a robot? Why? But not you, not me. Because we are human beings made in the image of God. It's because God has stamped something into our existence, into our consciousness, into our longings. What chapter 3 is going to say, he has put eternity in our hearts. And we long for eternity. We long for the infinite. We long for that which will never end. For that which is big enough and grand enough and beautiful enough and marvelous enough to satisfy the soul. And money doesn't do it. And pleasure doesn't do it. If you're here this afternoon and you have wondered what this is all about, at the end of the day, this is what it's all about. And I'm giving you the point of the whole, you know, and I didn't want to keep you in suspense any longer in this series. That's what it's all about. Everything else under the sun is vanity. Look above the sun and you find eternity and you find your joy. C.S. Lewis says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Riches require toil. Riches don't satisfy. Third, riches cause insomnia. Riches cause insomnia. Verse 12 of chapter 5. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Have you ever noticed that it's possible to lose sleep over money? And the more money you have, the more sleep you'll lose. There's something wonderful about being poor. 
you'll get a good night's sleep. (laughs) Never once in my whole life had to worry about the stock exchange and check things out. Oh, my millions are at risk. Never had to worry about it. It's nice going to bed in peace, in quietness. The Sultan of Brunei is one of the richest men alive and Uh, It is said that at current rates of financial growth in his family that his son is likely to become the world's first trillionaire. And among his many extravagances, he has has a personal collection of over 7,000 high-performance cars, 600 Rolls Royces, 300 Ferraris. His collection of cars uh, is worth in excess of five billion dollars. And yet, it is reported that he can't tell anyone where he's going to sleep tonight because of the fear of kidnapping and theft. How'd you like that? Nobody can know where you're going to sleep. Uh, the, sweet, the sleep of a laborer is sweet, Solomon says. Riches cause insomnia. Fourth fact, riches attract flies. Riches attract flies. Look at verse 11. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. (laughs) What's Solomon saying? The more money you have, the more friends you have. The more money you have, the more people come and want to be your friends. The, The more you have, the more there are at your dinner table. The proverb says, Proverbs 19, wealth brings many new friends. Everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. Wealth is meaningless. It is futility because it attracts flies. There's one lottery winner who said, quote, people I had long loved turned into vampires sucking the life out of me. Suddenly there are new friends, there are agents, there are needy people, there are lawyers, there are lawsuits, there are charlatans wanting you to invest in their scheme. Riches attract flies. Fact number five, riches fly away. They disappear. Verses 13 and 14, there was a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt and those riches were lost in a bad venture. Proverbs 23 says, don't toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to stop. When your eyes fix on it, it is gone. It suddenly sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. Wealth will do that to you. It'll disappear as quickly as you got it. Often quicker than you got it. Stunning study was done of NFL football players. There's a report of this back in 2009 in the Sports Illustrated. It's reported that 78% of NFL players either go broke or commit suicide within two years of their retirement. 78% either go broke or commit suicide within two years of their retirement. Things may have improved in the last few years, but by by those statistics, if there are 100 and 
15 players in tonight's game, 90 of them will be either broke or worse in two years. Money takes up wings and flies away. And be sure of this, those who want your money are going to manipulate you in every way possible to get it. I know this will surprise you since I am the fashion icon that I, that I am, that I didn't know this until recently. There is, there is this thing called fast fashion. Um, fast fashion is the fashion industry has sped up the process through which fashions go, come into and go out of style. It used to be, back in the day, back when I was a kid, where basically there were two styles, two style seasons. There was the spring, summer, and then the fall, winter. And then they went to four for each season of the year. Now the strategy is 52 seasons a year. I mean, it's a, it's a strategy to... to process and deliver fashion to us in such a way that if you're wearing what you wore last week, you're out of style. In fact, since it's a new week, folks, if you didn't buy your clothes that you have on right now on the way here this morning, <laughs> there are people out there who think what you've got on is tired and old and lean. It's, it is yesterday, man. You know, to get your money. You say, well, I'm not into fashion. Well, you're into technology. You're into tools. You're into cars. The whole system is built on finding ways to separate you from your money and to do it as fast as they can. Money takes up wings and flies away, and you say, well, I'm content with what I have, and, and this, this will last. No, it won't. I think it would be a good exercise for many of us, maybe all of us, to take a field trip to the local landfill. Let's take a trip to the dump and realize that everything you see there at one point was shiny new and promised someone happiness. They ought to, there ought to be an archway over the entrance to every dump. Here lie the remains of endless human dreams and aspirations, broken promises of things that could not satisfy. Money flies, flies away. The stuff that money buys rusts and breaks and gets thrown away. It is meaningless. It is futility. So riches require toil. Riches never satisfy. Riches give you insomnia. Riches attract flies. Riches fly away. And finally, riches get left behind. They get left behind. Verses 13 through 17, as was read earlier, you can't take it with you. You come into this world naked. You go out naked. You can't carry a thing with you. You've, you've heard it said. You've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. I read years ago, Grandma's two rules of monopoly. Rule number one, acquire, acquire, acquire. 
Rule number two, at the end of the game, everything goes back in the box. What a metaphor for the materialist. Acquire, acquire, acquire. At the end of the game, it all goes back into the box. And, and Solomon goes on to say here, even worse than that, you can't take it with you. Somebody else gets it. Somebody else who didn't work for it gets it. Vanity. Futility. Meaning. Oh, that's a real upper of a message right there. That, that, you're walking out feeling inspired. Oh, friends. Um, Jesus said one time that we should beware of covetousness. That's a, that's a big Bible word for money love and money pursuit. Beware of it. For a man's life does not consist of his possessions. Your life is not about what you own, what you have, what you acquire. Your life is about knowing the one who is precious beyond all wealth. Your, your life is about knowing God who alone can fill your soul with riches and prosperity of peace and love and joy and confidence in the face that anything and everything that life can throw at you. Life is about knowing that you're forgiven. That all of your sins have been pardoned. All of your sins have been washed away. That you stand before God fully accepted, considered fully righteous, fully loved by God. That's wealth. So much so that you can lose everything and still have everything. There's two men in the Bible, um, in two books of the Bible that are really about the same thing. You have the book of Ecclesiastes where you have Solomon who had everything, and at the end of the day said, why? What's it all about? And then you have Job. The book of Job is the same question, just come at from a different angle. Why? What's it all mean? What's the, what's the point of it? Job, if you remember, lost everything. So Job lost everything, and in losing everything, came to realize what life was all about. Solomon had everything, and in having everything, realized what life was all about. It's not about the everything, it's about God. It's about knowing Him. If you're here today, we're here, we're here to declare to you not a, a downer message. You know, uh, no, it's, it's just to declare to you the truth that your life really cannot begin with any degree of meaning, with any degree of value, until you begin it with the beginner. Which is why Solomon will later say, remember now your creator. Remember now your creator. I want to pray, and I want to pray that God would work in all of our hearts in such a way that we will see the vanity of the American way, the vanity of prosperity, and then see the beauty 
in the all-satisfying worth of Jesus Christ. Let's, Let's pray. Father, we ask you to to do what our words can't do, penetrate our hearts, O Lord. Father, we live in a world where our culture has mastered, has perfected the art of materialism and has appealed to us at every level, all our senses, bombarding us day after day after day with a lie that if we will just have this, then we would be happy. And Father, I know there are people in this room who know better. If the story of their lives would be told, we would discover that they have tried that and they agree with Solomon. It is futility. It is meaningless. Oh, Lord. Those who are here this morning feeling the futility of pleasure or treasure longing for that which satisfies. Would you please open their eyes to see you? Help them to know that you have made them and have made them for yourself and that you have loved them, you have loved us so much to send your son to live among us and die for our sins and be raised from the dead so that we could have a savior who would take us one day to the place where um, there are pleasures forevermore. Oh, Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus, may they not leave before they come to know him. And Father, write these truths in our hearts in such a way that we will be affected, not just to come to faith, but to live with the right set of values, committed to the things that really matter. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, we're going to try to briefly hit a couple questions here before the end of service. Uh, first question is, um, is minimalism what God wants for us? So we know from church history there have been times where Christians sold everything, were monks, and lived in communes. Okay. Minimalism, uh, just watched a documentary, I'm sure some of you have seen it, uh, a Netflix documentary, I think, called Minimalism. It's a, it's, a, it's a growing, increasingly popular reaction in our culture to materialism uh, that is saying we ought to, we ought to downsize and, and live as simply as possible, as minimally as possible. The sad thing about the documentary is that... Um, it never gets to God. It just, it just downsizes and doesn't replace with the one who alone satisfied. So at the end of the day, you've, all you've done is downsize and you're still discontent. The, the secret is not in, in giving everything away, getting rid of everything, although I would recommend as a very healthy exercise for the soul periodically going through the things that you own and downsizing so that the things you own don't own you. Um, You'll find your life happier if you travel lighter. There's something there. Paul says in Timothy, 1 Timothy, I think it is, um, with food and clothing, I will be content. What he's saying is, 
if I, if I have the basic needs of my life, I've learned to be content with that. I'm satisfied because I have God. I have everything. So I do think that there is wisdom. I think there is freedom. I think there is, there is grace and a sense of lightness of heart and life, a less distraction, the less we have. As Christians, you could almost build a case that we should be in the constant pursuit of less. However, that can easily turn into legalism. And we can become ascetics and, and monks and, and think that we have to, you know, walk around in, in old clothes and, and beat up shoes and, and not, and, and, and somehow or other treat things as if they're bad. Things are not bad. God made things. God doesn't make bad things. So there's nothing wrong with things. It's your attitude toward the thing. The Bible's clear, it's when we trust in things, when we are anxious about things, when we are in constant pursuit of things, when we love things, when we accumulate things to the neglect of others. Well, then we have an issue of our heart. That's, it's not minimalism by itself, but it's, it is a simplicity of life, though, that's rooted in a love of God and a higher set of priorities in our lives. Time won't allow us to do that many more, but maybe we can do one more question here. How do you strive to be better and achieve in a way that isn't focused on the more mindset? In short, like how do we learn, as the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4, I've learned in every situation to be content. How do we learn be content. Um, I think it's, boy, I'll just throw out two or three ideas, no specific order here. Um, it's helpful in learning contentment to think about the things we've thought about today. Let, let's just consider the cost of discontent. Let's, let's contemplate the price, the tag that is attached to the pursuit of more. That's, that's one idea. Just just let's think about the cost of discontentment. Let's, let's receive everything we have as a gift from God for our enjoyment. Let's, let's make sure that what we do receive, we don't, we don't look to it to satisfy us, but we see that God has given it to us. And we, we're conscious of that. We thank God for it. We, we say to God, Lord, I don't deserve this. I didn't have this coming to me, but you gave it to me for my enjoyment. And then let's, with gratitude, enjoy it. But hang on loosely. Don't cling to it. Don't grasp for more. Don't let it own you. Just hang on loosely because the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You want to cultivate in your heart that spirit that says, I receive it as a gift, but I'm willing to lose it if the Lord so wills in my life. Just consciousness of these type of things helps. Uh, there's probably a lot more that could be said, but time is up, and that's yeah. probably enough, I'd say. Yeah.